picture this. There's a person that you want to send a message to, right? Maybe an ex, a parent, a relative or whoever. You have something that they need to hear, but you don't want them to hear it directly from you for whatever reason. You might be shy, you might be scared, or you just don't want to deal with their reaction. So you decided to keep everything anonymous. Well, the folks over at Anonymous Interventions want to deliver your message for you at no cost. They don't even want to know who you are. They just want your message to be sent and they want to help you out. Visit AnonymousInterventions.com or just go to TheJamesShannon.com slash AI. I was destroyed. I was depressed. I was stuck. I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, you're telling me that he's in jail. He's never coming home. Like, this is, I was, I was, you know, building my life around this guy for two years. So, okay, again, here come the pain. So one day I just got up and I started running. Like, that's what I do. Ever since I was 15 years old, I discovered that running and fitness made me feel better with my depression. So I always did it. So now... This is episode nine of Conversations with James Shannon, where I talk to people that had a bad experience in life, but they found a way to overcome it and find success. Today's story comes from Ana Reyes. Ana moved to Brooklyn from the Dominican Republic and in the DR or the Dominican Republic and I had a nice loving childhood in the United States or the US and I had to deal with bullying, domestic violence, murder, drug use and doing negative things to herself and to her body. This is my conversation with Ana Reyes. Reyes is an Amazon number one best-selling author, influential speaker, new thought leader, self-mastery coach, and a mother. Anna shares the experience in her life to empower and to encourage others to take control of their situations and breakthrough challenges. Anna, thank you for agreeing to have a conversation with me today. Thank you for having me, James. It's my pleasure. So you grew up in the Dominican Republic. Uh, how was that? That was really interesting because when I have conversations, you know, with people from like, you know, what they call it, third world countries, you know, people always relate their experiences to like, oh my God, I grew up really poor and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I come from one of the worst neighborhoods in the capital, Santo Domingo, which is called El Capotillo. So it's really like, like the hood hood, right? But in my experience, I've always had stuff. I went to private school. I didn't go to the school around the neighborhood. I grew up with my grandmother and my uncles, my aunts, like everybody always made sure, like I grew up with a village of my family and everybody made sure that I was always okay. Mm. So I never grew up with any lack of any source. I grew up very loved and life was good. You know, I would play, I would love to dance in the rain and play in the rain when it would when it would be storming outside, I would play with my jacks always for, for Christmas. But we never really celebrated Christmas Day for the children. It was really January 6th 
because we celebrated the day of the three kings. Oh. So that's when I used to open gifts and I always had an abundance of gifts. Until one day I caught my grandma and I saw her and I was like, ooh, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, life in the Dominican Republic, it was, it was good. I, I have no complaints about my life at all. When I was home, you know, I, I grew up with my grandparents, like I said before, and I was very loved, very nurtured. And, and I, don't, I don't remember experiencing any lack of any source. That's awesome because a lot of people, they don't have that kind of love growing up. I mean, and a lot of people do. It's just, it's always nice to hear when, when people do have love. Definitely when you're in an environment that's known to not be so loving. Exactly. So you eventually moved to, to Brooklyn and now there's this whole new culture that you had to learn. Was it difficult? Right. So, you know, my mom had left Dominican Republic. I remember when I was like probably seven or eight. Well, I know that it went like a year or two that I didn't see my mom. And then she just came out of nowhere and picked us up, me and my two brothers. And now we end up here in Brooklyn, New York, and everything just seems so big compared to the stuff in the yard. You know, everything was just small houses. When I get to New York, everything is like a big building and all this stuff was big. So I was just like, mm, okay. We got here, I remember it was the summer of 94, May 28th of 1994, I remember it. Wow. And uh, we didn't start school that same time because I guess, you know, school was going to be over anyways in June. And my mama brought us. So we went through the summer. And when it was time to go to school in September, I told my mom, like, hey, where's our uniform? And she said, girl. People don't wear uniforms over here. You go to public school. I said, oh, well, we're just going to wear our clothes and mess it up? Okay. So now when I get to the school, I was petrified because I didn't understand anything that people were saying. Everybody was speaking English. And I'm like, how am I supposed to talk to these people? Like, what? So I get there and, you know, Lord behold, one little girl just came to me. I guess my face looked completely confused and completely scared. And, you know, I was like, I don't speak English. She's like, oh, no, I speak Spanish. And I saw Jesus right there. I was like, oh. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, yes. So from there, me and her became friends, of course. And it was difficult because, you know, children are mean. Mm -hmm. So now I'm in ESL class. And now, you know, the teacher would put me on the spot to read and I couldn't announce the words properly. And now the kids start laughing. And when kids start laughing, you get embarrassed, you get high, you don't want to be there. Yep. And I remember for the whole first year, I used to go home and tell my mom, can you just send me back? I don't want to be here. I don't want to learn this language. I don't want to be around these people. You know, like, I, I'm just not getting along. And, and I don't want to, I don't, it's, it's too much. Like I was doing fine in DR, like, there was nothing wrong with me over there. So my mom's like, no, you're not going back. You're going to learn. So within that year, I pretty much learned English. Like my brothers picked it up really quickly because they were, they were six and seven. And I believe the younger you are, the less fear you have. Yep. I was more afraid because I was nine years old and I became embarrassed when people were laughing. So that like inhibited me from, from like saying things that I became obsessed with the dictionary. Mm. And I would walk around with a dictionary all over the place so I can learn how to pronounce words and I can learn how to spell them correctly. 
And within that year, I learned their language. I managed, you know, to be here. And then I had cousins over here too. So we would always go to their neighborhood and play around and, you know, and be children. So that transition was really difficult for me as far as that. And then learning to live with my mom too, because in the in Dominican Republic, I live with my grandparents. Right. I used to see my mom on the weekends. And then to learn to live with my mother now, it was like a whole new thing because my mother, my, my mother, you know, my mother's a loving mom. I love my mom. But it's the basic thing of like island parents, you know, you get food, you get shelter, and you get clothes. You don't get so much of that loving, nurturing thing. Right. And, you know, now being in America, something else that's changed for me, too, was that I saw my mother working. My mother never worked in Dominican Republic. So I would tell her, like, why are you working? You know, like, what are you doing? And she's like, girl, people got to work here. I'm like, oh, but you're never home. So we spent a lot of time alone because my mama had to go to work. And that was something that I was just confused by because in my whole nine years of life, I never saw my mother work. And you say we, so was it just you and your two brothers or were there any other children in the house? No, it was just us three. Okay. And then my stepdad. So you had this watch your mom work. You did a bit all the kids at school and you wanted to go back and you never been back, right? I've been like, we went back. I remember two years in a row. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we didn't go back at all. And I went back 13 years later as an adult. And then um, I was there last, last December I was there and everything just looks so small. Like the house that I grew up in, it looks tiny now because <laughs> I'm all big. And I'm like, well, damn. Then we used to have this alley that I used to that we used to run in and out of, you know, playing. And now I can't even fit through the alley. I have to turn like sideways to go through the alley because the alley seems so small now. And the house has changed. My grandparents passed away and stuff like that. Oh, sorry to hear that. It's okay. People pass away. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Can you tell me how has life been as an adult? And what, what are some of the mistakes that you've made on your way to success or some of the things that have happened to you? Okay, so, you know, as a, as a child, children are picking up everything that their environment is teaching them and the people that are raising them are doing. And, uh, you know, when I became an after I finished high school, I became pregnant as soon as I finished high school. And remember, my mama was so angry. And I told her, well, at least I finished school. And she was like, you just ruined your life. And she, you know, she disliked the father of my daughter. And, and from that time, again, I had to move because living in New York City, it was going to be difficult to start a new family and paying all, the, all that rent. So he had family in, in Reading, Pennsylvania. And the cost of living over there was way cheaper. Like we found an apartment for like $385. Whoa. And you know, in 2002. Okay. <laughs> so, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Um, so we were like, yeah, let's do that. You know, so now... I moved with my new husband, my new child to a whole place that I don't know. And I got there, I remember it was like April. And in September, I started college. So life became really overwhelming. I had to learn how to study with a new baby. And then I had to also take care of someone else. I had to make sure dinner was cooked. My house was clean. The baby was put to sleep. And then I had to do homework and I had to balance all that out at 19 years old. Wow. So it was really, it was really tough. You know, I, um, 
My marriage only lasted four years because I was, I was, I was in a lot of pain. The fact that I didn't have my father around gave me a lot of issues, a lot of issues with building relationships with men. Mm. You know, I try to make it work because now I have a baby and you know, the right thing to do is, is to be with the person that you have a baby with. That's what my mind was saying. And um, I'm, th I'm this new girl in this new town and college and all the guys like me and blah, 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 blah. So I started cheating because I wasn't happy, you know? And I pretty much did the best that I could. The relationship turned abusive verbally and eventually physically it turned abusive. So, you know, one day I just said, I can't do this anymore. I cannot continue to be this unhappy. You know, it went like nine months that, you know, me and my, me and my ex-husband were not physically um, loving with one another. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't. I, ha I have to do something. I have to go. And again, I had to uproot myself and find a new apartment, even though I stood in town and I found a new place for me and my daughter to live so I can just feel like I could breathe in my own household because we didn't get along so bad. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship in which you live with the person, but it's like you're just living alone because you and that person don't even interact. Yep. I've been two of them like that. Right. So those are one of the worst things and one of the worst experiences that you can experience because you want to be able to enjoy and converse with the person that you're with and you want to grow. Yeah. It's like you don't want to come home and like, oh, oh God. It was the worst feeling. Like I will leave yeah. to school earlier. I will leave school later just so I would be away from the house mm -hmm. longer. You know, and then all of that, I'm like, you know, I'm just not happy. And, and I keep doing all these things that, you know, keep hurting his feelings. And then, you know, he hit me and now I'm looking for excuses of, of why it's okay. No, it's not okay. And I want to go. So I just got up and went. And then from that, it started like a whole series of, of different relationships. And after that, I met my second daughter's father because I have two daughters. And uh, I met my second daughter's father at a time. In which now, in between, when I separated from my husband, I met a guy and then I was in a relationship with him and he got murdered. Wow. So while I was going through my pain with him that he, you know, had passed away, I met my, my daughter's father. I met my second daughter's father. And uh, my second daughter's father, there's a lot of nice things to people, but then when you start dealing with people and you don't know them, you start seeing their true selves. You know, yep. he became very controlling and, and just, you know, it's just the way that he expresses and displays love. And it just didn't work well with me because I'm such a happy, free person. And, you know, I have, I, I, at that time I had many friends and stuff like that. So he couldn't cope with the fact that I was who I was. And then he just wanted to control who I was. And that's how I ended up moving to North Carolina again from Pennsylvania. Uprooting myself again, going to a new place. So this thing of me moving and changing and stuff. Is what I do. Yeah, I've noticed. You know, so, and it, and it started since I was in, it, they brought me from DR to here. You know, I get up, I move from city to city, and I just, you know, and I just, I maneuver. I, like I said, I meet people, you know, and that was the mentality that I had when I came here to Georgia. So I moved over there, tried to be with him to North Carolina after that. And I'm like, look, it just became too much. We don't have the same values. You want to live a certain type of lifestyle that I just don't agree with, you know. Having just lost a, a man to, to the streets, to, you know, selling drugs and people being envious and shooting people and stuff like that. I just did not want to deal with no man that did that. So that created a lot of turmoil in our relationship. 
And eventually we ended up going back to New York because of, you know, the things that he was doing. And I'm back in New York, hustling, tussling with a new baby, you know, trying to find work. I found work through a family member of mine. And I was hustling. I've always been a push through Like I pushed through. That's why, you know, this time that we're in right now, this whole coronavirus thing, it has completely like excelled me on a whole different level because I'm the type of person that when I meet challenge and obstacles, it, it fuels me. And I want to get through it. And I do whatever it is necessary so I can get through it. So, you know, after, after now being in New York, me and him didn't work out. I ended up going to my mother's house, you know, and I was in my mom's for a couple of, for a couple of months. And then me and him tried to work it out together again and it didn't work. So I ended up going back to mama's house and I was there for a good six, seven years until I decided to move here to Atlanta. And my whole change of thought and change of, of, of the person that I am today started when I was 31 years old. Again, left that relationship, started dealing with other relationships. I dated a guy that ended up going to jail for life. And I was supposed to marry him over some stuff that he did way before he met me. I was destroyed. I was depressed. I was stuck. I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? Like... You're telling me that he's in jail. He's never coming home. Like this is, I was, I was, you know, building my life around this guy for two years. So, okay. Again, here come the pain. So one day I just got up and I started running. Like, that's what I do. Ever since I was 15 years old, I discovered that running and fitness made me feel better with my depression. So I always did it. So now that I'm, that I went through that, I start dealing with all these other relationships, right? Because I'm still in my pain. Right. I'm still trying to look for happiness and trying to figure myself out, but I still keep dealing with dudes that are just in pain. Like I keep attracting these broken men, right? Because I think that I can meet people and like fix them. I always want to be like a fixing little fairy that I can just wave a wand and fix these men, right? Right. So now I come home one time just crying, telling my brother like, oh my God, this guy that I've been dating, he hit me. You know, and then my brother was like, why do you keep dealing with these guys and that are like so beneath you and they're always doing nasty things to you. And then you find yourself in a situation, blah, 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 blah. You know, you went to school, you have two college degrees, but you keep making, you make the worst decisions ever. He's like, you know, you, you're just, he cursed me out. And I looked at him like, how dare you speak to me like that, you know? And then when I left home, I continued to cry. I left his house and then I went home. And I remember that day I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of dealing with people that really don't care about me, that really don't love me, you know, because ultimately I don't love myself. So now I go through my phone and I change my phone number. I deleted all the contacts and I created, I created this extreme isolation for myself. I'm the person that when I want to change, I go extreme. I don't, I don't take like, oh, little bits. No, I stop like dead turkey. So now, you know, I, I practiced celibacy for a year. I became a vegan. I started looking into different practices like Buddhism. I did Kabbalah for a couple of months because I'd be in a Catholic, you know, being born a Catholic in the Dominican Republic, I was not with the Catholic Church. I'm like, 
hmm, I don't like what they be doing to kids, you know? It is right. what it is, but I don't like it. I'm just not with it, you know? So I was always, I always had that, that, that attitude towards that religion, you know? So when I started looking into other different things like Islam and stuff like that, I'm like, I, you know, I like Islam, but it's too, I know, I don't want to wear that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to wear that. And then everybody looks like they're so controlled. Like, I know, I don't want to do that. So then, you know, I looked into Kabbalah and that made a lot of sense. And then Buddhism was the one that did it for me because everything was all internal. Mm. What was going on inside of you was going on outside of you. So I did that for a whole year and I really practiced. I used to go to the temple. I used to go meditate with different groups. And I just really, really, really started reading books about like the mindset, how the mind works, think and grow rich, you know, how successful people think, how successful people, yeah, you know, like those type of books, the science of being great, the science of being rich. Then I started getting into like the law of attraction. I read The Secret. I read Asking It Is Given. I read um, Frequency. I read a whole bunch of books, right? That pretty much what I ultimately got from all those books was that whatever is going on in your mind is going, tra- is going to translate in your, in, your, in your physical life. And the reason why, because I kept saying like, man, why do all these bad things keep happening to me? I'm not a bad person. Like I don't go around my life just want to mess people's lives up. I don't meet people and want to do mean things to them. You know what was going on? I was walking around with a lot of negative feelings and emotions and negative thoughts. So those were the type of people that I was attracting. So what changed? I just started changing my mindset. Like I, like I mentioned before, I went through a whole year of like solitude. I completely disconnected from everything and everyone. So I would go to the park and do this extreme meditations. I, would, I started learning about affirmations. So affirmations became my thing. And I started saying, you know, I am positive. I am positive. I am great. And I started saying all of these things, even though my system didn't want to believe it. And in 2014, I put myself in a life coaching program. And then the lady's going to come and tell me, you know what your major problem is? Your major problem is that you're an emotional addict. And she hung up the phone on me. And I said, who did this woman think she is? She don't even know me. But then I read something in Buddhist practice that said, you know, when a person gives you a compliment, don't let it go to your head. And when a person person insults you, don't let it go to your heart. So with that, I'm like, you know what? She's correct. I've always took negative criticism and, and, and understood why it was being said, right? Because now, you know, a lot of people were calling me, you were calling me like a promiscuous person or, you know, just like this. And I'm like, well, you know what? Instead of being offended by it, how much truth is there to it? Because people always, when people get called like negative names and stuff like that, their first thing is to like get offended. They say like, no, I'm not. And become like really defensive, right? Right. But how much truth is to what that person is saying? What? Because if there's 10 people saying the same thing about one individual, it has to be some truth to it. You know? So I'm like, you know what? Even though I don't like what's being said. So now if you want... If you want people, people's narrative to change of you, let's behave different. Yes. So I started just uh, changing my behavior with the whole affirmation thing. I'm like, you know, I am respectful. I respect myself. I love myself. And then that coaching program 
lasted about three months. And because I didn't have no money around that time, I couldn't afford to pay for it. So eventually the lady told me, look, it's been a month and a half and you haven't made no payment. I got to kick you out. And I said, oh man, this is terrible. Because around that time I had lost my job or something and I was on public assistance and my monies had not come in yet. So I was like, oh man, this is terrible. So I was all sad and depressed because I wanted to finish the program. And I'm like, you know what? Let's be grateful because you got all this information from the program in a month and a half. Uh, let's apply it. So I had a list of books and I just read all those books and I became really aggressive about the information that I learned. And I really, really, really applied it to myself and to my life. And then I'm like, well, you know, I want to go back to school because I want to help people. Because I, I was in respiratory therapy. But in respiratory therapy, like I was helping people and stuff, but the environment of being in the hospital was very sad for me. It was like everybody's sick. And then I have all this personality. So I was always like the loud girl. I like wearing cologne. I like wearing perfume and smelling good. And I couldn't wear my perfume because people are sick. People got asthma and all this type of stuff. And I'm like, man, I may trigger something with them just because I smell good. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't like this. Yeah, the money is good, but I don't like it. So now I started working these little petty jobs, you know, just to, 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 to get through life. And eventually I was like, you know, I can't continue to do this either. I like to help people. So how are we going to help the people? So I said, oh, I want to be a social worker. And then I said, but I don't want to go back to school. I really don't want to go back to regular school. So then I saw something that said life coaching again. I'm like, oh, I can do what she did with me based on my life experiences. Oh, that's what I want to do. So ever since that, I started taking a whole bunch of all the free classes in the world that were being offered for life coaching. Every single thing free, I was on it. Ever since I was a kid, I was always very studious. I've always liked to learn. I've always liked to grow. I was the kid that ran to class because I wanted to sit in the front. If I didn't get an A, I thought that it was the worst thing, that I was the worst person in the world. I had to get an A or an A plus, 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 plus. <laughs> Yeah, you was that kid that carried the dictionary around. Exactly, it. you know? So now I learned the most that I could about, you know, being a coach and, and helping people. And then my first client came about four or five years ago. And I was, and I was just starting. And he came through my Facebook inbox. And he said, I don't have no money, but I need help. And I said, what? You ain't got no money. <laughs> well, that, how that's going to work? So I just, you know, slept on it. And then the next day I said, you know what? This is what you want to do? Here it is. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. So I told him, like, look, I'm going to give you my time, okay? You need to listen to me. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but we're going to fix him somewhere somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> I started looking at all the stuff that I had learned in the program that I had taken. And I started applying all those things to, to, you know, to him. I started working on his confidence and his, and his mindset. At that time, he had like a drinking problem, a smoking problem. So now we had to get down to the bottom of why are you drinking? Why are you smoking? You know, and, and, and Lord behold, working with him for about a year, you know, I saw such progress. And now he's just like, great, you know. And that gave me the confidence to say that I can help people and I can coach people through their mental anguish and through their emotional anguish. So physically, they can live a happy life. 
Because when you see people that are doing like negative things with their behavior, it's because mentally and emotionally, their system is, is, not, is not healthy. So now physically you start seeing the translation of those thoughts and of those emotions. And I say with myself, when I was that, when I wasn't in a positive place mentally, when I wasn't in a positive place emotionally, I would do negative things with my body, like sleep around, go do drugs, go, uh, go, just go do detrimental things, go over drink. And now I'm throwing up, you know? Right. And I would cry and I'm like, why do I keep doing this to myself? But it was, you know, and I, I, I cause I didn't want to get down to the core of my pain. So now you want to, you want to put a bandaid over things and drink and smoke and, and do drugs and do all these, all these, all these physically detrimental things that can potentially, you know, kill you. And that's what I said at 31 years old. I'm like, I'm tired of this life. I want to do better. I want to be better. And now, you know, at 36, I am. I can say that I completely am, I'm not going to say that I'm completely healed because I get an attitude all the time, <laughs> you know, because things that don't make sense, they just like, my yeah. goodness. So then um, like this whole coronavirus thing is just like, oh, it doesn't make sense, but whatever. That's another topic. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm at a point that mentally I've gotten myself to, to think completely positive and when i see myself that my thoughts completely drift or dr start drifting into another place i get myself back really quickly emotionally i've taught myself how to not dwell in my negative emotions because we all feel negative emotions it's the balance of life we have happy we have sad we have up we have down we have love we have hate that is just the duality that we live in you know in order for one thing to exist another one has to exist but when those things start coming up in our lives, we have to choose. It's a choice of what you're feeding. Are you going to feed the negative or are you going to feed the positive? Yeah. And for a very long time, I was feeding my negative, you know? And now I've become so, 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 so adamant about feeding my positive that my life has completely become super awesome. Because I have made a decision. I have made a choice. That this is what I want. You know, I want better and I want better and I want better and I want better. I want more mental health, more emotional health, and more physical health, you know? And everybody around me, that's, that's my goal. When it comes to friends, when it comes to my children, when it comes to just anyone that I meet, this is just what I speak about. You know, my, my goal and, and I feel like my sole mission here is, is to teach everyone how to get to a mental space in which you're not going to control every thought that comes through your mind. That's completely impossible. But for the most part, you can control what you concentrate on. And if you learn how to do inventory of your mind and you see, okay, let me sit down and see what I think about. That's something that Buddhism um, taught me was just observing your thoughts like, wow, I think, you know, I think very negative when it comes to this. And I think when it comes to that. Now, when you hear the negative thought come in your head, just block it. I started yelling. Like I used to, when I started my process, I would yell around my house. I am positive. I am positive. All is well. I am well, like a crazy person. Did anybody hear you yelling at yourself? I don't know. They probably did. But I was another crazy person. I was in New York and everybody in New York crazy. <laughs> so... 
I, I was convincing myself because whatever you hear, your brain is going to pick it up. So I started talking to myself in a positive way, in a powerful way, in an encouraging way. Because even though I had love in my life, you know, everybody always thought that I was just always going to do good. Nobody ever taught me how to do good and how to treat myself good. So that's how they say, oh, you know, you're not supposed to talk to yourself. Yes, you are. You are supposed to speak to yourself. And you are supposed to speak to yourself positively, lovingly, encouragedly, and tell yourself that you can, that you can achieve everything that you want to achieve, that you must achieve, and that you will achieve it. Because if you don't believe in the things that you want to achieve and the things that you want to do, no one else will, first of all. And then your body is not going to move in the direction that you need to move to bring those things and make them physical in your life. People are so quickly to tell themselves, oh, no, I can't. Oh, no, you know, I'm fat this way and I'm fat that way. And people are so quick to tell you everything that's negative about themselves. But now, you know, you're told that you're full of yourself or you got a big head if you speak highly of yourself. Or if you speak in a positive manner of yourself, why do I have to be full of myself? And I am supposed to be full of myself. Hello, who else am I going to be full of? Right. You know, I am supposed to speak highly of me. Why do you want, to, what you, why do you want me to speak negative of myself? That ain't going to leave me nowhere but feeling all type of negative feelings and emotions. Definitely. I always say, tell people all the time that you should speak highly of yourself. And if somebody thinks that's negative, then let them think that that's their thoughts. Your thoughts should remain positive. Absolutely. You know, like you got to be a special type of a special type of rotten for you to for you to feel like, oh, why is she speaking so highly of herself? Like I learned to appreciate that by now listening to all the motivational speakers. That's something else that I didn't. In the beginning of my years was I, I used to listen to Les Brown very heavy when I was working on getting over like my emotional issues. Every, every different motivational speaker got me over a certain thing. And I used to listen to Eric Thomas, you know, um, he got me over the relationship with my dad, the issue with that. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Robbins, he started teaching me about just how to build in that, that relationship with the people. And then it has been other speakers that have taught me about different things because I, I choose and listen to, to specific people you know, that are going to make me feel a certain way that are going to bring the result that I want to see out of my life. And that's why, you know, I stand here strong today at 36 years old. I wrote this book, How to Become a Conscious Creator, Seven Steps to Self-Mastery. And I wrote that book because that was the process that I went through when I started becoming and I felt like I was born again. I remember I told my brother, I was like, I feel like I just got reborn. Speaking of the book, it has a ton of positive reviews. I haven't seen one. Uh, Tommy Israel said the book was amazing pound for pound and that he wanted to meet you. As a matter of fact, did he ever get a chance to meet you? No, we haven't. Because, you know, this whole Corona thing got everything shut down. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I haven't yeah. been able to make it to New York. My goal was to make it to New York in April because it was my daughter's birthday, my oldest daughter's birthday. So hopefully I can fly over there you know, this summer and meet him and, you know, do something together with him because it's just amazing. It was another friend of mine and actually he was a faithful friend of mine and he believes in me so wholeheartedly because I guess, you know, by me sharing my life experiences at that time, I impacted him in a way in which 
he just like he would buy a whole bunch of books from me and he would just give them out in New York. Oh, and wow. that that was from where Tommy learned about me. And um and we've been connecting on social media ever since. And I'm like, my goodness, you know, and I'm just, uh, you know, the, the, this end of 2019, 2020 has been completely breathtaking and awesome because, you know, ever since we've been sitting in the house now, now I've completely paid attention to, to my business and to myself because, you know, we get, we get so caught up in, oh, I got to go to work and make money. Yeah. Because you got to pay bills. So now the things that are yours, like your business, you put those things second. So now that I don't have the job to run to, now all I have to do is me. And it has brought me such gratification that I'm just like, I'm, I'm just ready. Like, I'm, 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 yes. Like, I took these four weeks and... I've been so submerged with myself and, and just doing what I love to do that, like they say, where attention goes, energy goes. It's like this, this virus is, it's, it's a bad thing, but it's been kind of positive for me in the sense, just like you said, I've been able to focus more on me, my business and my family. And I discovered a lot of things that I probably wouldn't even discover before. Yeah. Like, like I said, we live in a reality and in a planet in which we have duality, right? And uh, I've, got used, I've gotten used to that for every negative thing that happened, there has to be a positive to come out of it. Yes. There has to be. So people focus so much on the negative, on the negative, that they're missing. Like I just read an article in Saul that Miami hasn't had a murdered in six weeks ever since the coronavirus. Miami? Wow. Hello, Miami. Then in Italy, when they got hit and smacked with the coronas and everybody had to stay inside, the water cleared up and the fish came back to life. Yeah, I saw that. Amazing, right? And then I saw something else. That said that there's parts of the of the earth that have that were beginning that are beginning to regenerate because the people are not out there depleting. Something that I've learned and I've noticed about us humans, we are very destructive. Very. Okay. We have come to this planet and we have sucked the life out of it. And one thing that is for certain, another thing is for sure, that I've seen it in my own life. Either you make the change or the universe is going to make it happen for you. And this is what happened to us as a, as a, as a, as a human race. Either we're going to leave the earth alone so she can relax for a little bit and she can get her energy back. Or the universe made it happen and it gave us disease. How many times throughout time, throughout the history of the times of the books of the Bible and everything, doesn't the people get, 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 get cursed with a disease? All the time. All the time. Because the people are out of control. So now you have to be forced. So now everybody has, to be, everybody has been forced to focus, to stay still, to pay attention to the things that are really valuable. I love this conversation. So I have a, I have a question. I'm just wondering. 
you, you speak to groups around the country and you also wrote this book, How to Become a Conscious Creator, Seven Steps to Self Mastery. Can we expect this at any of your speaking events and or in the book? This energy, this, um, oh, this kind of knowledge sure. that you like, gave me. I'm, I'm just like, so ready for the world to open up. Like I said, like this six weeks that I've been sitting in the house, this this month and a half or whatever, it has completely like, have you ever watched Dragon Ball Z? No, I know everybody does, but no, I haven't. But listen, when they go Super Saiyan <laughs> and the hair turn blonde and they start kicking it everywhere, boy, that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I feel as I was, I told my boyfriend, I'm like, I feel like a transformer. Like I done transformed. And I have energy to give to the people, to feed them, to let them know that from negativity, such positivity can come about. It's just how your perception, your perception, how you're looking at things and how you're dealing with things. And if the process of evolution has not taught us that the world, life was not created to stay the same, things were not created to stay the same. The law of rhythm. Everything is constantly changing. Everything is constantly changing in life. Everything. Even from the way that we're born. We're born from a sperm. And then we grow into the person that we are right now. Imagine if we, like I told my orphan, imagine if we were a whole bunch of sperm walking around. That would be weird. You know, like we have to go through a process from the time that, you know, that egg gets inseminated. And then, 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 you know, the, the growth process in the mom's womb, nine months. And then you're born and then you have to go through another growth process and you keep changing and you keep changing now into a, 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 a toddler and now a young child and now a teenager and now a young adult and now an adult and now, you know, a mature adult. And now you start going into old age. That's change. I just interviewed somebody um, a couple of days ago, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and he was saying, if you were to ask yourself, am I the same person I was 10 years ago? You were probably say no because we change so often our blood changes every three months so why do people expect you know the thing is that change creates now it it, it, it forces people to to come up with new ideas uh and people get comfortable it's a comfort thing people get comfortable in routines as much as they hate the routines they get comfortable there Mm -hmm. because how many people hate it going to work every day a lot. Exactly. But they're dying to go back to the same place they hate it. Instead of sitting there now for these couple of weeks and figuring out, how do I do not go back to that place that I disliked? Now, they'd rather go back over there instead of using their brain power, this God-given beautiful brain that we were given because we are all born with genius. Something that I heard Jay-Z say the other day. We're all born with genius. But that genius is different for everybody. It's just that some people, I think Beyonce came out of her mama's womb singing and dancing. You know, like some people are just around those type of energies that breed into them what they see. And then they become already from young. They become like the, the you know, the young motivational speaker, King Na, his father. You know, the reason why he is who he is is because his father has nurtured that in him. And he has become what the youngest motivational speaker of da 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 you know, but without that father, will he have be who he is? Without, without that environment? Uh. You know? So a lot of people have such a nurturing environment for their God-given, 
for their God-given genius that is, that, is, that is expressed really quickly, you know? Most of us have to go, you know, our parents did not nurture their own God-given geniuses themselves. So most of them didn't know how to do it with us. You know, a lot of our parents yeah. did the best that they could. They just bought us food, they gave us clothes, and they told us to do the right thing, you know, and that's the best that they could. That's why, you know, I had to get to a place in which I forgave my dad. And I'm like, I, I heard, when I heard the story between him and my, my mom, I'm like, oh, okay. He just did the best that he could, you know. Now I'm going to be the adult and I'm going I'm to build the relationship. So that's what happened with my parents. I had to, I, since they were important to me, not that I wasn't important to them, but they don't know. Like, like, the old, like this is a certain generation that they don't know how to speak. They don't know how to express their feelings and emotions. They just don't know. They're just emotionally constipated like that. Mm. So now that I knew and that was important to me, I had to teach them. I had to teach my parents how to be emotionally intelligent with me. You have to tell me that you love me. You have to give me hugs. You have to give me kisses because I need it. And I want it because you're my parent. And do they do it now? Yeah, they do it now. That's awesome. A lot of people they don't they don't get that from their parents. Um, I didn't get it from mine. I was raised by my grandma, just just like you, and she did the best that she possibly could. And I love that woman to death, rest in peace. But when I think of my parents, well, I don't really know my mom at all. But my dad, he, I probably need to teach him too because I never got that from him. Um, yeah, you, you can't even tell that we're father son. We just two people that know each other. Yeah, you know, and that's what that was. That was the thing with me and, and my dad. You know, I knew that he was my dad. But I, didn't, I was never like, you know, I never had that daddy's girl relationship and that nurturing thing, you know? Yeah. And now every so often he comes through my phone and tells me, I always make fun of him because he always tells me, I love. I'm like, what happened to the you? Like, <laughs> he don't know English so bad. Like, he just, you know, he, he shortens the word. And I'm like, I love you too, dad. You know, but those were things that I didn't experience when I was young. And those things hurt me a lot and made me feel like if my dad doesn't want me, then who's going to want me? So now I started bringing those feelings into my relationships. Yeah, and even though, you know, I was in relationships, I always felt like the male in my life didn't love me or didn't care for me. And it was because of that, of that damaged relationship that I had with my dad. And I know you were saying that, that, you know, you've been through a series of relationships that they weren't the greatest relationships, but you mentioned your boyfriend a couple of times. So are you happy now? Oh, yes. I'm extremely happy now, you know, and I've been with him. I came here in July. I met him in September in Georgia. And, um, you know, we were working the same place because we were both working at Red Lobster at that time. And we went through a period of time in which, you know, he comes from his from his own experiences with women and I come from my own experiences with men. So our first year together was really rough because we didn't trust one another. You know, it was like a lot of trust issues there. And uh, we know that we loved each other. We wanted to be with one another. But that trust thing, it was just like, oh, you know. And then um, last summer, we went through a period that we had broken up. And it was the best thing that happened to the both of us. It was the best thing that happened to me. I'm going to speak to myself for myself because when I came here from New York, I became so like, so like attached to him in a way that I became sort of like dependent on him because I didn't have nobody else. Everybody's back in New York, and I just became kind of clingy to him, right? So now if he wouldn't call, I would feel some type of way. So I became, like, really emotionally destructive again. So now after I experienced that, that breakup, 
I started going to this place here in Georgia called Stone Mountain. And again, when I, when I bring myself out of my depression, I start working out. And I started meeting people. I started socializing with people. And I just felt this sense of freedom and independence. And the fact that I could do it without him, it just gave me so much strength. Not because I didn't love him, because I still loved him, you know, but because I've always wanted to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then we met up again we saw each other again and you know he had messed with a couple of people and i had messed with a couple of people and i was just like look these people raggedy out here i don't have time (laughs) i don't have time for these raggedy people you know people want to come into your life and just start controlling you like i don't know what's going on with these men these days i just want to come into your life and i'm like you know what it is that i always people always meet me in a place that i'm lacking finances right so what I noticed with men that when they have the finances and the girl doesn't have it, they try to use the finances to control the woman. And I'm the type of person, don't control me. Don't do it. Just let me be free, work with me, you know, because I'm a very gratified person. I will never take advantage of anybody. And then when I will see those characteristics and those people, I'm like, I know. I'm done. You know, I don't want to be with nobody right now. I'm just going to give myself time so I can heal from this breakup. And then me and him started talking again. And, you know, and what I said and what we said to each other was, listen, if we're going to do this again, we cannot have the same issues that we were having before. We're going to have to get down to the why and we're going to have to work through it. And that's exactly what we've been doing. And the relationship has been growing. You know, he has grown tremendously on his own. I have grown tremendously on my own. We've learned to to just be free, you know, whatever it is that's bothering you, whatever it is that's bothering me, we have allowed each other to be who we are. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a super loving, nurturing, nurturing relationship that I just, you know, I'm excited to see where we go from here years later. You know, and it's the, and it's the level of health that I've always wanted. You know, someone that I can speak to, someone that I can have intelligent conversations with, someone that allows me to be myself, you know, someone that, that I can introduce to new things that I like and they're not like, oh, you're weird, you know? Because, you know, just this month, Ramadan started this month and I'm not a Muslim. I'm not into Islam, but I practice the whole Ramadan thing. And, you know, earlier I was, I was playing like, you know, like Islamic music. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, babe, all right. I'm like, yeah, man, this is what I want to do right now. And I was doing my meditation and stuff like that, you know? So all those different things that, you know, I go outside and I walk in the grass and, you know, I'm just a very open person to certain, you know, to certain things. And when you're with a person that allows you and nurtures those, those things in you, it allows you to grow more freely. Yeah. And then when the person wants to grow themselves, because something that I admire about, you know, him is his story is out of line. Like, that's why I said, I ain't got no complaints because we always share stories. And I'm like, it's amazing how I grew up in a country that's supposed to have nothing, but I had everything. And you grew up in a country that's supposed to have everything and you had nothing. Wow. So when I heard his story, that made me really feel like, man, I haven't been through anything. I had a mama. I had, you know, a stepdad. I had another stepdad. I had my grandfather. I had a cluster of people that loved me. And when you hear his story, he had nobody. His mom, his dad, everybody failed him. 
but for him to be the person that he is right now is completely amazing. I just be like, oh my goodness, you know, like, and you push through. And when you hear the stories, it's like, what? No, people cannot make it through that and be like this all happy all the time. And, you know, just being such a good person. That right there is exactly what this is about. You just be surprised at the the stuff that people have went through and how, and like you said, like you, you can smile today. You're happy today. You successful after you went through all that. How? Right. It's amazing. Yeah. It is. It's, it's amazing, you know, and that's why, you know, every person is a book. Every person got a story and every person is a motion picture because every person is going to have pain. Whether you don't think you have enough pain. Cause I also say to myself, like, man, every time I hear like, motivational speakers everybody got like this sad story man i'm like i ain't got no sad story <laughs> <laughs> you know like my stuff was light work you know like my daddy wasn't around but everybody daddy wasn't around <laughs> you know i'm like my mama used to my grandma used to whoop me but everybody grandma used to whoop them <laughs> you know like i have anything major like i hear people getting raped by different family members you know you were having moms that were like on crack you know like just just crazy stories you know people ain't have no food i'm like what was your mama at like what, what was everybody else at? like your mama ain't have no 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 aunts or like or like or like sisters or brothers that you didn't have no aunties yeah they didn't mess with me either i'm like oh my god that's terrible and just to, to just hear the, the amount of stuff that a lot of people have went through. I feel like my biggest thing has been just lack of confidence, you know, lack of confidence and always a feeling of unworthiness because, again, the relationship with my father. You know, once I got that straightened out, my life has completely taken a different turn because now that I believe myself that I can, that I will, that I must, there's nothing that I see in my brain that cannot become physical in my life. And that is how I've been creating my life in the last six years. You know, from the way that I live now, from the partner that I have, you know, everything. It's all, it's all, a, it's all a, a, a thing of the mind. Anything. From the, from the relationship that you want to have. You know, I always said to myself, I want a hardworking man. I want somebody that loves me, that takes care of me. And that's what I have. You speak those things into existence. You know, everything in your life, you can speak it, you can have it. You can think it, you can have it. Everything in your story, everything that, that you do and what you've been through, I think it is helpful. You have the domestic violence. You had somebody that you were in a relationship with get murdered. Having uh, kids by two different guys. These are things that we may think that, oh, it's normal or it's nothing. But somebody else out there is like, wow, like she went through that. Right. Every time I told people that I have four kids by two different women, they'd be like, what? How is that? Right. I'm like, that's nothing to me. But it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you about it. But Right. Because, you know, that since you have overcome those things, they seem like, okay. You know, but now when you hear somebody else's story, it's like, wow. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, when I think about, you know, my pains, that's how, you know, when the world opens up and those are the audiences that I want, you know, I would love to speak to, you know, battered women. I would love to speak to, you know, women that go through what I went through, you know, the murder, dealing with, with men that are exposed to violence. Then I had an, an, another person that went to jail. You know, how do you continue your life after you plan your life around this person? 
yeah, that one, you know, uh, three years to me, I, I don't, I don't think there's like one story that's worse or better. Just everybody, just like you said, everybody is a book, a motion picture that has their own story and we can learn from everybody's story. Absolutely. If people wanted to learn more about you right now, where is the best place to go? The best place to go that I'm on heavily right now is Facebook. And I'm there with my full name, Anna Kevlin Reyes. And then on Instagram, at Anna Kevlin Reyes. And um, and my website, AnnaKevlinReyes.com. Those are the three places that I'm on heavy. I go live on Facebook and Instagram every day, Monday through Friday at 12, um, 12 p.m. Eastern time. I do that every day. I motivate the people. I share my book. I share my experiences. And I'm on my website is my bio and everything about me, all my links to my book. My book is in Spanish also. And yeah, you know, and I plan on going into YouTube. And I started working Twitter a little bit today, but I don't know. <laughs> but my main platforms that I love, that I've been on since I started this whole journey has been Facebook and Instagram. That's awesome. And I'm going to leave all of that in the show notes of this episode. And thanks for, for making it easy. And Kevin and Reyes, some people have it like, you know, they'd be like, oh, it's A-Reyes here. It's A-K-Reyes there. It's like, no, just keep it all the same. Make it easy for people to find you. Yeah, you know, because I mean, that's something that I learned through taking the classes that I've taken about this business. You know, you have to keep everything the same so people can find you and so people can connect with you. How are you going to have one name here and one day there? And then you're not going to then you're getting upset because people are not finding you. Everything has to be uniform. And then even some people, they will find you, but they'll be confused and not sure if, it's, if this is you or not. So they'll just leave and give up and go somewhere else. Exactly. Those are things that I learned by taking all those free classes. Yep, keep yep. the picture the same. Keep the name the same. Keep everything the same on the different platforms. You know, you may change the content a little bit because, you know, every, every platform is a little different when it comes to content. But as far as your name and what the message is, should be the same. Exactly. All right, Anna. Well, I appreciate you so much. This has been an amazing conversation, and I just want to thank you again. And I know you out there in Georgia. Before we were talking, you were saying it's windy, it's hot here, so I may take a visit out there once this. Yeah, I'm ready for the heat. Bring the heat. Send the heat over here. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for having me. I really, oh, of course, really appreciate of course. the opportunity. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. And let's stay connected too. Thank you, Anna. Doesn't she have a great personality? I connected with Anna on social media, and I suggest that you do the same. You can follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Anna Kevlin Reyes, or visit her website, AnnaKevlinReyes.com. That is spelled A-N-A-K-E-V-E-L-I-N-R-E-Y-E-S. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at thejamesshannon.com slash nine and leave a like and comment on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple iTunes or Podchaser or just on the website. Finally, remember to feed your positive and not your negative. I'll talk to you next week.